0: invite your attention this morning to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 will be in verses 1 through 14, the slide says 13, but we will be verses 1 through 13. Uh, I appreciate you all giving me a Sunday off and and able to worship with you last Sunday. I hope you appreciated, if you were here last week, the ministry of John Mark Clifton, uh, a great mentor of mine, uh, very long tenured history. Uh, Many of you have asked, if I miss a sermon, where can I I hear a sermon? We always have CDs right outside the door in our information rack. You can also go to TowerViewKC.com and our sermons are right there on the main page. You can always check that out. We're in the midst between studying books, so if you're visiting today or if it's been a while, uh, this is not our normal way of doing uh, preaching. We're doing a topical sermon. Usually we go verse by verse, but the next couple weeks are questions that you as congregation members have asked over the last few months and have been the most popular topics on our blog on our website, towerviewkc.com. Two weeks ago, we talked about the wrath of God. That's the most viewed page on our blog since I started here a few months ago. The second most is today. A very easy question for many of you, but a very necessary question as Christians go over. Is baptism necessary for salvation? Well, I thought it would be appropriate to ask some little kids this question. And uh, I I asked a little boy in our congregation, I asked him to explain baptism. And this is what he said. He said, it's when the preacher holds you under water. And you think more about Jesus than you ever have. <laughs> I'll let that settle in for you for just a second. There's also a sermon illustration I found I was very fond of. It's about a man, a woman, and a hillbilly and baptism. Are you ready for this one? They were scheduled to be baptized, and the man was baptized first. And when he came out of the water, he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And the congregation said, Amen. And the woman was baptized. She came out of the water and said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the congregation said, Amen. And it was the hillbilly's turn. And he didn't know much about the Bible. So when he came out of the water, he yelled, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Uh, You know, baptism is all across the board, isn't it? People have different views of baptism. Uh, We're Baptists. That kind of comes with our name, doesn't it? You know, like the Mormons, our Mormon friends up the road with their big cathedral, I got to tour that before they closed it off to only Mormons, and they believe you can baptize for the dead. Many of you know that. Uh, A lot of World War II people uh, have been baptized for the dead, so to speak. Some people have to be baptized multiple times. They believe that being baptized multiple times makes them closer to Jesus and closer to heaven. On the flip side, there are some that say, forget baptism. I don't need that. That's not for me. Uh, I don't need to be baptized at all. But what does the Bible say? Let's start in Matthew 28. Very familiar verse. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus' last words uh, to the disciples, uh, so to speak. But he said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not just of our ethnicity, not just of our socioeconomic class, but all peoples, all language groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus himself, his last words were to be baptized. And if you're a Christian, there will be never be anything that Jesus calls you to easier than baptism. Why? Because baptism, when we go under the water and rise up, it shows that Jesus died and rose for us. Our old self has died with Christ, and our new self has been raised with Christ. Baptism, in essence, is saying Jesus is my God. He died on the cross for me, was buried, rose from death, And my faith is in him, and my salvation only is in him. But you say, Pastor, you haven't answered the big question. Is it necessary, baptism, for salvation? That's something we'll look at today. And also, if I'm a Christian, why should I be baptized? Why is it important for me as a Christian to be baptized? Or if I have been baptized, why is it important for me to think on that baptism? And why do we practice a certain type of baptism as Baptists? Maybe you've had that question before. Matt, you hit on some of this in your opening uh, when you talked. Here's the big idea today. I think you'll find it very easy to follow. Pastors don't save. Churches don't save. Baptism doesn't save. Do you know the only one who can save? Saves Jesus Christ. That's right. Baptism is just getting wet if Jesus isn't involved. You ever thought about it that way? Baptism is a big deal. It's going public and saying, I am part of team Jesus. I am part of the body of Christ. And baptism, even more seriously, is the initial boundary or passport into the church. It's a part of becoming a church member. So we're going to do three things today. And you're going to say, Darren, this is not your normal order of things. You are absolutely right. We are going to debunk in the first point, is baptism necessary for salvation? We're going to see that baptism is distinct. It's different. It's set apart from saving faith. That's the first point. Then we're going to look at seven implications of baptism, seven. And then some practical matters. Why do we do it this way? And you'll see that up on the screen. Why do we do it this certain way as Baptists? We'll get there. And so Romans 6, we'll look at in in the second point. We don't usually do that, but you need to see some other things first. So in honor of God's word, if you're able this morning, would you join me in standing? We're going to read Romans 6, verses 1 through 14 today. Be reading out of the English Standard Version. Many of you like to know that because sometimes I flip-flop between a couple. And we'll read God's word today. Does baptism save Paul writes this in Romans 6 as he has proclaimed Christ to be Lord. He said everyone needs salvation, and he lands this plane, so to speak, in verse six, in chapter 6, verse 1. What shall then we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, or your translation may say God forbid. How can he, we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were also baptized into his death? We were buried, verse 4, therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And isn't that good news? We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one has died, has been set free from sin. Now, verse 8, if we have died with Christ, we believe also that we will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. For death no longer has dominion or mastery over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let us not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion or mastery over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Isn't God an amazing God? Let's go before the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word and the hearing and doing of his word as well. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in your son alone, for your glory alone. As the great reformers talked about. Father, it's not some special act, Lord, though we will get into why that's important. Lord, it is simply believing the gospel message that, as Matt articulated so well, that, Lord, you have died, you have resurrected, we have sinned. There's no hope apart from you. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And as Acts says, there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much that as we start this sermon, Lord, that that is truth and that is the biggest truth that we can have. Lord, apply it to our hearts. May your spirit be with us today and apply the words of this sermon and especially your word to our lives, to our church, and to this neighborhood as we seek to reach it for Jesus Christ. We ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. How many of y'all, just uh, this is not in my notes, but how many of y'all have ever been asked that question before? Is baptism necessary for salvation? Has anyone ever been asked that before? Some hands go up, good number of hands go up. Well, as Baptists, we have a, a document that we believe in called the Baptist Faith and Message. And I don't have this up on the screen, but I just want to read what we believe as Baptists, especially about baptism. It says, Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's an act of obedience, symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in the newness of life. It's a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection from the dead. And being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. You know, there are certain cult groups out there, many of you have encountered them, that say, if you are not baptized, you cannot go to heaven. Friends, if I can be as clear as possible, we do not believe that in any way, shape, or form. The classic example of this, many of you will recall, is Jesus and the two thieves on the cross. You remember this. Jesus was dying along with the thieves, and one of the thieves just ridiculed him and said, just just take him, get rid of it, shut up, you know, stop. And the other thief, by God's sovereign grace and and call, his eyes were opened. And one believed Christ and one didn't. But what did Jesus say to that thief? He said, today you will what? You'll be with me in paradise. Was he baptized? No, he was not. Friends, we believe that salvation, the first point I want to get you across here is that salvation comes by the blood of the lamb and not the sweat of the sheep. Salvation comes by the blood of the lamb and not the sweat of the sheep. But people get really superstitious about this. I've had people tell me, if I can get wet by a holy man, whether it's a pastor, a a whatever, that will do it. And friends, no. Again, Jesus says, pastor doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus alone saves you. Fully God, fully man, sufficient as he is. That's our deep conviction. But people want assurance these days, don't they? People want assurance to know that if they get baptized, that somehow this will make them a super awesome amazing christian and friends there are benefits to baptism but it is not salvific it's not salvation friends there's no assurance beyond jesus do you believe that no political party no PTA group no uh CC's pizza my favorite there's no assurance past jesus christ nothing is more secure than your faith in jesus and some people wrongly think they're saved because they're baptized you can be wet and not saved Second little sub point. This very short point I want to get across to you is this: if salvation, A to Z, is God's doing, His calling, His plan, His action, and His work, then guess who deserves all the glory all the time? He does. Sounds so easy, doesn't it? Friends, we don't believe baptism saved because the Bible speaks so much against it. Ephesians two: for by grace you have been saved. I don't see grace. I don't see works in there. I don't see baptism in there. I don't see sincerity in there. It is for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a what? It's a gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. How are we saved? We are saved by repenting, doing a 180 from our sin, seeing Jesus in his beauty and believing that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is our way to heaven. It is by grace through Jesus, trusting Jesus, and only Jesus. No Jesus in baptism. No Jesus in communion. No Jesus plus your good works. No Jesus plus your bank account giving to the church. No Jesus because you wear a Christian t-shirt, I'm going to heaven, friends. It is only in Jesus Christ, amen, that we are saved. That That is what it is. So what is baptism? Baptism is an outward confession of an inward reality of saving faith often use this analogy uh, to go along with it. I'll take my wedding ring off. I don't know if I can get it off. I'm, I've grown a little bit since I've been married. My wife has cooked well, and so that is a good thing. Amen. It's a good thing. I often use it like this. Baptism is best described by this wedding ring analogy. My wedding ring does not make me married, does it? I could have gotten married without a ring, or I could wear a ring and not be married. I think you understand that logic. My marriage, though, is based on my commitment, which Natalie and I made to each other on August, August 3rd, woo, April 3rd, 2010. You imagine, I'm forgetting things up here. But my wedding ring is an appropriate symbol, isn't it, of an unseen truth, that I am married to Natalie. It tells the women of the world, I'm not available, I'm committed to my wife. And that is what an encouragement to you if you are a spouse. And friends, baptism is doing the same thing. You are not saved through baptism, but like the ring, you are telling the world, world, I am no longer available. I am now committed to my bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you are not a Christian, we are so grateful you are here. Let me say that first of all. But the Bible teaches that nothing apart from faith in Christ will ever save you. This is a great truth, and there's no other action. It is by faith alone. If you don't know God, baptism won't save you. We can dump water on you all day, but unless God has converted your heart by the power of the Spirit, there's nothing you can do. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we have separated ourselves from the Lord. And it's only through him, by him, to him, in him, whatever preposition you can throw at it, that we are saved in Christ. But if you're a Christian here today and you say, Darren, it's been years since I was baptized. Why is this important to me? Friends, that is the time when God claims a special ownership with you. You have kissed the world goodbye, not by being saved by baptism, but by publicly declaring that your life has been set apart. We are born once, and so we're baptized once. But just as we eat repeatedly, we also, through baptism, have the privilege of taking the Lord's Supper. Next week, we'll do the Lord's Supper here, the second Sunday of every month. But the Scriptures are clear. They never show baptism causes conversion. Someone will come up and say, well, pastor, doesn't it say in Acts they, they, they got saved and then they got baptized right away? Yes, they did. But, friends, baptism is never put in the equation of anything across the New Testament or the Bible for salvation. It's only through Jesus Christ. I hope that's clear today. That's what we believe. Friends, that's where we stand up. But I guarantee you, even on this issue, even on this issue, you will not win friends and influence people. If you know that old book. You might lose friends and might not influence people by standing on the fact that it is Christ alone that saves us for all things. So that's the first easy point. Boy, we're trucking through this, aren't we? The those of you who've been around my sermons, man, we're making good time. But let's go to the second point. And your laugh agrees with that. Amen. Seven implications to consider. I want to go through these with you quickly. I hope you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 6. Friends, it's clear the baptism doesn't save. I don't need to harp on that because the scripture is so abundantly clear. I could have brought in many, many verses, but I want you to know that that's where we stand. Seven implications of about baptism. Look back at Romans six one. Paul says, "What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, or God forbid the thought. How can we who died to sin still live in it?" First thing I want you to see is that baptism in these verses all the way through, signifies that we are now identified with the man of life, that's Christ, and not the man of death. Friends, the context of Romans 6 is proper to understand this. In Romans 5, Christ is our substitute. He took our place. We deserve God's wrath. Christ took our place. But in Romans 6, we see Christ as our representative. For the man named Adam flows to sin, death to all men comes out. But when we trust the man, Christ Jesus, who is fully God, we receive God's free gift of justification. We are set apart legally. When God sees us, he sees Christ. We have righteousness. We have life. And we have grace through that life. Friends, I am so grateful that we are not any more longer attached to the man, Adam. We are attached to Christ. And that is what baptism symbolizes. And therefore, Romans 5 paves the way for Romans 6. And this is why baptism is so radical. We take it for granted here in the States, but if you've been overseas on a mission trip before, served or know a missionary, you know that in countries where the gospel is not welcome, to be publicly identified as a Christian through baptism can cost you job, can cost you family, can cost you socioeconomic. Quite frankly, it can sometimes cost you your life because what are you doing? You are identifying that it is no longer anything else but Jesus Christ. Christ. Friends, it is a radical and bold declaration when you are baptized that Jesus is yours and you don't care what people think about it. You just care about what he has done for you. Baptism testifies to our new identity. We are now identified with this man of life who is Jesus Christ. And the second point I want to bring at you today is simply this. Baptism means we can no longer continue delighting in sin because we are now dead to sin. You know, the, the smart thinker will come up and say, well, Darren, does that mean you're perfect? Does that mean you can have perfection? Does that mean that you'll never sin this side of heaven anymore? If you were here through our Philippians study, you know that Paul debunked that in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says here, he, he raises three questions, whether they're real or hypothetical, we don't know. But he says, where sin abound, grace abounded all the more. And he recognizes that more sin... People will say means more grace some people will take this thing baptism new life in christ and say look at me i got my card i got my get out of hell free card i got my injection of jesus i i did all those things pastor now i'm just going to go live it up like the prodigal son and go do their own thing friends but i'm grateful to know that what happens in vegas doesn't stay in vegas so to speak in god's eyes Do you ever think about that god sees all he knows all and he, he knows exactly where you are. So what's Paul's response? He says, do you live that life? No, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Friends, the gospel does not empower us to sin. It should execute sin in our lives. The old me loves sin, but the new me hates sin. It fights against it. Once I was alive to sin, but now I am dead to sin. And baptism is a declaration of a new allegiance. A flag flies differently in your life. Not because it saves you, but because you have publicly identified yourself with Jesus Christ. Jesus is now your passion. Jesus is now your life. Those are the first two. What about number three? Look at, verses, look at verse three with me again. I told you to be quick little points here. But Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have also been baptized into His death. Third point is this. Baptism most clearly identifies with Christ in his death. That's very obvious, straightforward from the text. But I think there's some things we can draw out of this as well. First off, Paul says that the blessings of baptism are that we identify with the man, the God-man who gave his life for us. Friends, there could be no greater thing that we have that we know Jesus Christ. There's a knowledge component to this. There's a doctrinal side about this is, friends, when a person gets baptized, we just don't dunk anybody. We just don't throw them in the water and say, hey, hope you swim pretty well because we're just going to throw you down. We don't do that, do we? And with respect to my friends who baptize infants, this is problematic for those friends. There's a knowledge component here. You have to have some knowledge of what Jesus Christ did for you in order to be baptized because Paul says here, you have been baptized into his death. Friends, if you don't understand The gospel message, you should not be baptized. We'll get there later, but I think that's one thing to take away. And you know, it also means this phrase, baptized into Christ Jesus, is also where we get partly immersion. We do not sprinkle here at this church. We believe in in immersion. We believe that when someone is baptized, that they are to go under the water and raised up. Again, there's no special magic that happens in that transfer, uh, except it's a picture of what and a symbol of what Christ has done for you. And our immersion is an immersion into his death. Look down at verse 10. This is closely connected to verse 3. Paul says, for the death he died to sin, once for all, the life he now lives. Friends, that death to sin was decisive and climactic. It was once for all. It's never to be repeated. There's no need to be baptized multiple times because you have been baptized once for all into Christ. And, yes, there are some practical implications. If you come to me as pastor and say, Darren... I was baptized in, let's just use the Mormon church as an example. I was baptized as a Mormon. We would need to have that discussion because that is not a true baptism. They do not have the true gospel with respect to their ability to believe what they believe. There are some of those circumstances, but if you are a Christian and have been baptized, you do not need to be baptized multiple times. It is not like going to the, the cheap gas that keeps coming down and getting your tank full. Pastor, I need to be baptized. I'm spiritually empty. Not the case. You need to seek the Lord in the word and in prayer. And so it it, it tells us about his death. As he died once, so our baptism should be one time. What else? Look at verses 4 and 5. Paul goes on. He says it not only identifies the death with Christ, but it also identifies the resurrected life with Christ. The resurrected life. Look back at verse 4. Paul says, You're baptized into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly, love that word, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Going down into the water, being submerged into a watery grave beautifully depicts our death to sin in union with Christ. Just as Christ was raised By God the Father, so we are as well. That's verse 5. We should, like him, walk in newness of life. Friends, what a blessing it is. If you've seen a baptism, and, and you all mostly have, you know you should think of your baptism. Think of that time when you know for certain that Christ had saved you from your sins, and you could not wait to go in and tell people about it. That's why we do it publicly as well. We don't do it in private because it is a witness to those outside to challenge them to consider Jesus Christ. And emerging from the waters of death, I now testify and give a public witness that I have been resurrected with Christ. Do you all believe Jesus is coming back someday? Amen? Friends, this is a picture, this side of heaven, one picture of many that God gives us through baptism. Let's move on. Not only does it show a a symbol of being baptized into his death and, and his resurrection. But number five, look at verse six, six and seven. Baptism affirms that we are no longer enslaved to sin, for that man is now dead. Paul goes on, he says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that we, the bo- in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Again, let me be very clear here. We are not talking about sinless perfectionism. I have challenged you in recent weeks to go home and sit and try not to sin for five minutes and see if you can do it. Because in that moment, did you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength for five minutes, friends? It is not possible this side of heaven. But I tell you what, even through our sin, God gives us strength to fight this thing called sin. Paul develops this doctrine called sanctification being more like Jesus because we have been uh, we've been connected to Christ through his baptism and through ours. Baptism signals and signifies my new master is Christ. Having died to my sin, I can say it with Paul, if you know this verse, say it with me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:17, therefore I am a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Absolutely. We are freed from sin not by baptism, but by what Christ has done but baptism signifies that baptism declares that I no longer serve sin for that I is dead that I is dead it is found in him and friends don't let your identity whether you are uh, older or younger or somewhere in between let nothing in your life be your identity don't let your spouse be your identity don't let your kids or grandkids be your identity Don't let your identity be that you serve well in this church. Let your identity be that you know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For friends, that is exactly what Paul says here. The old is gone and the new has come. Two more points. Paul says in verses 8 through 10, I'll read that quickly. He says, now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. Oh, blessed assurance. What a great thing. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will no longer die. Death no longer has mastery or dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Friends, I am so thankful that every time we come to this church, we do not have to re-crucify Jesus Christ. Are you grateful for that? I don't know if you missed, I'm being sarcastic when I say this, we don't have any goats outside, we don't have a tent outside, and a, you know the deacon of the month has to slay the sheep and bring them to the... We don't have to do that. Praise the Lord. Amen. Friends, we are looking here in verses 8 through 10 that baptism provides future confidence that the life in Christ will never end. It will never end. People often say, what are we going to do in heaven, Pastor? I mean, we're going to swing on pearly gates and walk streets of gold and do all this things. You know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be mesmerized, so to speak, in, in, in that God way of just learning just a little tidbit of what God has done for us through the ages. There will never be a time you'll be bored in heaven because you'll never exhaust God. And friends, this is the confidence that we have, not through baptism, but as a symbol that baptism, just as Christ was raised, you are raised to the newness of life and your confidence is in the gospel that he is enough. United with Christ in his death, I confess in my baptism my confidence of a future resurrection. Look, we don't know, and you can debate this, I'll be quite honest with you. If you're a pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, if you're a left-behind series guy or over four, Look, you figure that out. Here's what I know. Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ is coming visibly. Jesus Christ is coming powerfully. Jesus Christ is coming. Uh, he's coming in all his glory. He's coming in all these ways. Friends, I don't know how the details work out. And honestly, I think those who say they do are a little bit off the rocker because here's the deal. We'll know more about the, re- more about the return of Christ and the return of Christ. But what we have now is the gospel. And what we have now is a picture of what we're going to do for the rest of heaven and figuring out why God in all his grace, love, and mercy would die for us. Did you ever think about that? Why would he love us? He loves us because he loves us because he's a good and gracious God for his glory. Friends, I'm grateful that God gave us that picture, aren't you? Aren't you today? Last point is this. Baptism is the basis for my daily slaying of the flesh. I picture that dragon and those, I love those old uh, knight in armor movies. Many of you love those things too. But Paul tells us in verses 11 to 14 that baptism is a symbol, a basis for my daily slaying of the flesh. Look at verses 11 through 14 again. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members, that is, guys, that's just your body, anything in your body, your mind, everything, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, and since you are not under law, but under grace. John MacArthur states it well, and I think this is a good quote. He said, new birth in Christ brings death to the sinful self, but it does not bring death to the temporal, flesh, and corrupted inclinations until the future with Christ. Friends, we are truly new in Christ through baptism, but we aren't totally and completely there yet. One of the signs that you are growing as a Christian is that you hate your sin more today than you did yesterday. One of the signs that you are connected closely to Christ is that you want at all costs to stop your sin. Again, that does not mean this side of heaven you are going to be perfect. Friends, Paul tells us that in Philippians 3. But it does mean that you are fighting, you are slaying. You don't go up to a dragon and simply say, you're done. He's going to eat you alive. It's going to happen That It happens in the movies. It ha- Friends, you cannot fight this battle unless you know that you need to put on your spiritual armor. If you're struggling with sin this week, I would encourage you to go and read Ephesians chapter 6. Remind yourself of taking up the sword of the Spirit and all the armor that is shod with the gospel of God. My baptism will serve as a reminder, a memorial to inspire and motivate me to a life of godliness in Christ. It's a goofy illustration, but there's a picture that's going to pop up here of a 90-gallon tank of fish or of water. I don't know if you have a 90-gallon fish tank in your house. This is apparently what it looks like. But do you know that it takes about 90 gallons of water to baptize a person on a given Sunday morning? Talk to Carlos. Carlos, you do this. I think he's in here today. It takes a lot of water. But did you know that on any given Sunday, if it rains, it takes about nine drops of rain to keep someone from attending Tower Baptist Church. Think about that. Friends, baptism is a good reminder that church isn't about us, it's about the one we serve. Hebrews 10 tells us, and let us consider that how we can stir each other to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look, thank the Lord that we have baptism, because you know what it does. It not only does all those things for you, but it encourages the body. When we have a baptism here, it encourages people because they have seen a new life in Jesus Christ. Friends, baptism reminds us to, to give time thinking and praying about one another. It reminds us to go and not avoid each other and say, see you next Sunday. It get, makes us get into people's lives. Let me end with this some practical matters. So, during this break, that's great. I agree with you. Theolog- theologically, I agree with you. But how does this affect me, my kids, my grandkids? Let me just go through some points I've listed out told you this is a different, it's a topical sermon, but I think you'll you'll like this as we close this out. Friends, the first practical matter I want to give you is this, is that Bible, the Bible requires belief for baptism. And this first sub-point is believers should be baptized. Believers should be baptized. This is a commanded and expectation. We saw that in Matthew 28 at the opening. In Acts, believers, it's universal for them to be baptized. The New Testament speaks with one voice on the issue. Be baptized and be members of the local church church we take church membership here seriously we don't hand it out just like candy to a kid we we want you to take seriously that you have been baptized that you do know christ that uh, that you have gone through those things but did you know On the second sub point is this trying to be very practical with you through this text things that pastors and church leaders are dealing with today that affects you professing believers are baptized younger than ever have you ever noticed that Friends, how do I know this? I I remember talking to a gentleman. This is back in 2007. I won't say his name. I'm not going to say his church because this is on the airwaves, and I still know him personally. But he told me about a church that he knew that baptized 200 people the previous year. Wow. That's more people than we have here on a Sunday morning. You would think, praise the Lord. So I asked him, I said, is there a difference in the congregation that you have baptized 200 people in a year? And he looked at me like I was crazy. And he said, No. There's no difference in the community. So I was a little intrigued, and I asked him some more questions, and I discovered that 120 of the baptisms were children of church members under the age of 12. 40 of those were under the age of 18, and 20 people, to round it out to 200, were from other churches who had not previously been baptized. Only 20 of the 200 baptisms were new baptisms. Friends, recent studies by our own convention, Southern Baptist Convention, tell us that 60% of the baptisms are re-baptisms, And the number of children are growing drastically. Why is that? Well, I think the third sub-point is this. Pastors face pressure to baptize children. Would you agree with that? Pastors are human too. We want to help people, probably to a fault at times, but we want to help people. It hardly seems like a bad thing to baptize a child. We don't want to come in between the Bible and that person's conscience. But I'm not against baptizing children. Follow me for just a second. But pastors also face a tremendous pressure from from parents and church members to encourage their child's faith. And finally, to be quite honest with you, from the denomination we serve, sometimes we get a pressure for numbers. I think many of you know that have been long-time Southern Baptist members because supposedly the more baptisms you have, the healthier the church and the better the church is. But friends, younger and younger kids are easy to entice, aren't they? I'm an example of this. I was age seven when this happened to me and I did not know Christ. And the pressure can only be resisted by pastors who are convinced that sometimes baptizing children is an unbiblical practice. How do you know that, Pastor? Let me give you the fourth subpoint. The Bible gives n- us no numerical answer about what age a Christian should be. What age a Christian should be. Is there an age of accountability? Is there an age at which a person crosses over from being able to be baptized and not? Friends, there's not. Either the age or the idea of such an age. We we know from Deuteronomy 1, for instance, that. Uh, There is an age of accountability of 20 for being an adult. But many people will establish the age of 12 as the age of baptism. But here's the deal. God spared those under 20 who were there in Deuteronomy, and he spared those over 20. There's no direct answer except this. It's the last sub-point up there for you. No age given when baptism is required. The fundamental problem about baptizing children is often they will think they know Christ, but they don't. Friends, we all sin. There's no reason to think that God cannot save a child. How many of y'all were saved as a child? Many of y'all were, right? Maybe you know that God can work in your life as a child. But it is for people like us that Christ died, and we are called to do this. But we must be careful. Let's go on to the second main point here as we close this out, guys. Second point is this we should take time to witness this belief of a baptismal candidate before baptizing. That may sound strange to your ears, but parents especially, we pray that we would not presume that your child is saved, but pray for them. Don't presume their faith, but pray and teach is the first sub point. How must we deal with a child's faith? If a child comes to me as a pastor and a grandkid comes to you, what do we do with that? Friends, this is a big thing. It's a very big thing. This affects many of your families and many of the people that you know. How must we deal with it? Well, some would say that we must act as if they're not saved, that God could never save a child. Well, don't presume that. Some would say that we treat them like they're saved. If they say they're saved, that we treat them like they're saved. Well, don't presume that. There's a balance between the two. Our children look and act like Christians sometimes, but they don't possess true faith. Many of you know that. You've been around that. Friends, what I would say is this. Don't worry about your children becoming a Christian. Show them what it means to be a Christian. Yes, they need to be saved. Don't mishear me. But teach them the Bible. Pray with them. Trust them that Christ is good. Show them Christian truth, but don't give them the assurance of their salvation just because they can say Jesus as a young child. I know that's a tough truth, but emphasis and obedience shows the fruit of whether they know Jesus Christ. Labor over their faith, pray over them. Look, can God save a child? Please hear me clearly. Yes, He can. But oftentimes in some churches, even in our own denomination, they have baptismals that have, many of you know what I'm talking about. They have fire trucks in their baptismals. And when a child gets baptized, all these bubbles come up. I mean, it's like a party. and it, Friends, but what does that do to every child in the pew? I want to get baptized, mom. Guys, we have to be careful that we take this very seriously because God takes it very seriously. Here's a second point there are good reasons to delay baptism. Christians are called to be baptized in members of a local church. There's no example in Scripture of baptizing children, but we need to use some signs. We need to test the reality of their profession. Do they really know Christ? We need to emphasize the importance of baptism, as we've hopefully done today. We need to clarify that it's faith that saves them, not baptism. We need to teach them and show humility. We need to, Sometimes they need to become more mature to show the fruit of their labor, And we need to remember, cherish, and use that experience not as a thing just to check off the Christian thing to do, but to really show they know Christ. Because this is the third point, friends. This is so true. True conversion evidences itself over time. If you are a Christian, you will show your fruit. Perhaps it sounds strange, but Lamentations 3, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 13, 2 Peter 1, all tell us to make our calling and our election sure. It's not a sin to doubt your salvation. That's what 1 John's about. But works do not save you, but they sure show whether or not you're saved. Let a man examine himself. How about this? Baptist Christians used to wait longer. I'm going to give you a list of names. I did some study. I want to give you some famous names of people who waited to be baptized. It's more of a historical point, but it's worth noting. John Gill, pastor at uh, Spurgeon's Tabernacle Church before Charles Spurgeon, 62 years, was baptized at age 19. Samuel Medlin, age 22. Richard Furman, age 17. These are all great historical people. John Brodus, age 16. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher. If you get a chance to go to the seminary library, go do it. Age 16. His son's at 18. E.Y. Mullins, age 20. W.T. Connor, age 17. Why do I bring this up? Guys, here's the last point. The family's the primary sphere of spiritual care for children. If you have a child that wants to be baptized, know that as a church we take that very seriously because God takes it very seriously. But know as well that we want to make sure they're not just going through a religious rite of passage, that they truly know Christ. And you know where that starts, parents, grandparents. Where does it start? It starts at home. Yeah. Children are placed in families for a reason. If you are godly people, and you are, parents must teach their children. It's not our church's responsibility to be primary educators of the church. Baptism is part of our church's witness for the gospel. We need to be careful that as we baptize, we baptize those who know Christ. Please, please hear me clearly. Do we baptize children here? Yes. Do we take it very slowly at times? Absolutely. Why, pastor? Because, friends, God takes it seriously. And we want to make sure, as best we know, by God's common grace, through his spirit working in a person's life, that they know Jesus Christ. Say, so Darren, that's too old school. Well, friends, here's the thing. Sometimes when you put a stamp of baptism on someone, they walk out the door and think they're saved. Then they live like a hellion for years and think they know Jesus Christ. Friends, we take baptism seriously because the gospel is serious. Do you, amen? Do you agree with that? I hope that makes sense. Does baptism save us? No. Pastors don't save you. Churches don't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Christ saves you. If you have questions about this, I would be more than happy to talk about it. But friends, know this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, you've got you to gotta settle that issue with Jesus. you got to know who he is first. If you do not know who Jesus is, I'll be up here after the service. You can come talk with me as Mark and, 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 and the, the band play. We'd be more than happy. We're not going to twist your arm. We're not going to force you to be a Christian. But we do want to have a serious talk. There's a deacon in the back, uh, Mr. Don, and his wife Shirley. If you want to talk to someone more privately, you can go back and talk to our deacon of the month, Don. He'd be happy to have that conversation. But if you know Christ, thank the Lord that he has saved you and redeemed you. What an awesome God we serve. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, this is a very tough issue because it affects so many. But Lord, I'm grateful that it is only by grace, through your Son, through faith, for your glory, that we are saved. Father, give us wisdom as a church. Help us to celebrate baptism, but, Lord, help us to do it very carefully, Lord. Help us to do it not just as a way to please parents or please church or add numbers or or do those things, but, Lord, to seriously see some evidence of faith. Lord, we know that's not an end all, Father. People can go through those waters without truly being saved even though they look like it. But, Lord, as best we can, give us wisdom as a church to make those decisions. Father, I thank you so much that you take this seriously, Lord, Because you yourself and your son were baptized, Lord, and and as a picture of what we are to do as well, it's a command. Father, I pray for anyone here today without Christ, that you would open up hearts and minds, draw them unto the gospel. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your grace. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.